Okay, welcome everybody to the Jewish Insights class on the Parsha Bolok. This week's theme is actually about the Sunday coming up. Today is the 14th day of Tammuz, and in three days, Friday, Shabbos, Sunday, in three days, on Sunday will be the 17th of Tammuz, and the 17th of Tammuz is a Jewish fast day. So, given that it's a fast day, we have something to learn about that special day. What is it? The, 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 the take-home message of today's class is going to be that nothing is so predetermined that it must turn out the way that you think it's going to be. Which means, in other words, that anything can happen. Things can change. Let's see what could be the number one influence that changes what happens in our lifestyle, what happens in our life from what we think it's going to be, from how everything is predicting it should be, what can change it to be something else entirely? And that is the topic of today's class. So let's take a look. How many fast days are there in the Jewish calendar? Five. Five fast days. There's Yom Kippur. That's the only biblical one. And then we'll see in a couple moments that there are another four which are responses to things that have happened to the Jewish people throughout their history. And they are um, Shushan Purim. Uh, sorry, not Shushan Purim. It's Tainus Esther. The day before Purim, we fast to remember that Esther asked all the Jewish people to fast so that she should have success in her um, in her prayer and beseeching the king for, um, for religious and national freedom. Fast one. Fast two, Asara Betavis, the 10th day of Tavis, is always in the winter. Conveniently in, in the Northern Hemisphere, it's the shortest fast of the year. And um, um, I forget what, what, the court, what the reason for that one is. Then there is Shiva Asar Betamuz, the 17th of Tamuz, which is the topic of today's class. So we'll discuss that soon. And finally, there is Tisha B'Av, which is the ninth day of Av, and that is the, um, the day that the temple was actually completely destroyed. And as well, it's the day that um, the, the, uh, the people complained in the desert about going into the land and annihilation was decreed onto that generation, etc. And many more things of suffering, including um, the initiation, the first act of war that began the First World War and eventually the Second World War and the Holocaust was also on the ninth day above. All of those ones are very um, simple. The, these four rabbinic holiday, uh, fast days are easy fast days, which means you just cannot eat or drink. When it comes to Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av takes on very similar rules, the rules are a bit heavier and they include you can't um, you can't wash yourself, you cannot um, um, engage in marital relations on that day, um, you can't wear leather shoes, and of course you can't can't eat and drink. Right? Okay. All of that said, let's take a look on 
let's take a look at the 17th of Tammuz and discover um, what happened that caused this day. And so pull up your source sheets. In source number one, uh, we'll, take a, we'll take a discovery. This is a quote from the Gemara, from Talmud, tractate Tainit. Tainit means fast. So this is the, the chapter which is talking about fasting. Why does a person fast? A person fasts in order to rectify something that he's done. So a vast amount of this tractate is going to be talking about the fast and the stories that cause the fast and the outcomes that you're looking for. In the meanwhile, the piece that we're going to study right now together is actually a quote from a Mishnah. So the, the way the Gemara structures itself, it begins always with a Mishnah. Then the Talmud, the Gemara, will then discuss the Mishnah back and forth all the way through till the final, final end of it, until the Mishnah is thoroughly understood. And then the Gemara will bring a new Mishnah and discuss that one. So let's take a look at this Mishnah and attempt to understand it. And so I'm going to ask, Robert, will you please read for us this first Mishnah? Five things, okay. occur five things occurred to our ancestors on the 17th of Tammuz. The tablets were broken. The Tamid sacrifice was discontinued. The city was breached. Apostamus burned the Torah and set up an idol in the temple. You know, I think you prepared this because you pronounced that Apostamus really well. Okay. You had it. Okay. But note how the Mishnah says five things happened on which day of the year? The 17th of Tammuz. The coming quote that we're going to have is from Jeremiah. Yirmiyo, the, the prophet, and he's talking about the events leading up to the destruction of the first holy temple. And he tells us that the city was breached on a different date. So the Mishnah says that the city is breached on one date. And Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, is telling us the Mishnah, the city is breached on another date. Um, Alan, please take it away. In the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the 10th day of the 10th month, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came with his entire army to Jerusalem and encamped around it, setting up a siege around it. The city remained under siege until King Zedekiah's 11th year. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. It's about a year and a half. It was on the ninth day of the fourth month. The famine had become severe and the people had no food. The city was breached and all the soldiers fled the city at night through the gate between the two walls near the king, king's garden. The Chaldeans were surrounding the city. They fled by the way of the Arabah. And there's uh, two more paragraphs. On the 10th day of the fifth month, in the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the chief executioner, came before the Babylonian king in Jerusalem. He burnt the house of God and the king's palace, and he burnt all the houses of Jerusalem in all the houses of the dignitaries. Hey, thank you. So let's examine this quote from Jeremiah and find exactly the date here. So in the first line, it says, in the, in the ninth year of his kingship, of his reign, on the 10th day of the 10th month. So now, how are Jewish months counted? Well, you might know that we count from, sometimes we count from Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the year, and sometimes we count from Nisan, which is the month containing Pesach. And this is discussed in the Talmud. But ultimately, 
this count is not counting from Rosh Hashanah. This count is counting from Nisan. And what that means is that we are talking about here, um, the 10th of Tevez is the first paragraph, which says the 10th day of the 10th month, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came with his entire army to Jerusalem and they camp around them and they set up their siege. That's the 10th of Tevez. Then the next date is two paragraphs later, the ninth day of the fourth month. What's the fourth month from Nisan? It's Nisan is one, ER is two, Sivan is three, Tammuz is four. So the ninth day of Tammuz is the day that the famine had become severe, the people had no food, and the city was breached, and the soldiers fled. That's on the, third, on the ninth day of Tammuz. And finally, the next paragraph is the 10th day of the fifth month. What happens on the 10th day of the month of Av? The complete and utter and the end of the destruction of the temple is on the 10th day of Av. So the, the fasting begins on the 9th of Av. Or it starts actually on Erev, the 9th of Av. It starts on the eve of the 9th of Av, on the 8th evening, right? On the night of the 8th. But then it goes, then when we finish fasting on the end of the 9th, which is ready now the 10th, so then the rabbis have told us because it the the, um, the building continued to uh, smolder and at the celebration of the destruction is the 10th day of the month, so continue with some of the um, practices of mourning all the way to, to 10 and a half, to the half of the 10th day. So you, I hope you noticed that there is a stark contradiction between the Mishnah and the Pasuk. Okay? If you didn't notice it, that's okay, because source three, the rabbis will point it out for us quite nicely. Take a look. The city was breached on the 17th. That's a question. But the verse says, on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become severe. Followed by, the city was breached. That tells me there's a contradiction here. The answer is... The Rava said, Rava is one of the famous, most famous names in the Talmud. He weighs in here and he says, not a problem. One refers to the first temple's day of destruction, and the other one is talking about the second temple. As our rabbis taught, during the first temple era, the city was breached on the ninth of Tammuz, and the second temple era, the city was breached on the 17th of Tammuz. Are you satisfied with this solution? No, Robert is not, neither am I, Alan. Are you satisfied? You don't have an opinion? No. A Jew without an opinion? It's only one Jew. You should have at least one opinion, right? Okay. They say two Jews, three opinions. That's it. So let's take a look at source four. And the source four is written by Rabbi Yosef Karo. So you get points if you know who Rabbi Yosef Karo is. The uh, author of the Shulchan Aruch. Boom. The author of the Shulchan Aruch. And he lived between 1488 and 1575, and he lived in the holy city of Tzafat. Tzafat. Okay. Well, he was the first one to write down the code of Jewish law. No one before him had done it in an authoritative way that everybody accepted. In fact, so well accepted was his work that a, he was a Sephardic rabbi. An Ashkenazic rabbi who lived at the same time in nearly the same era in Poland said, I am not going to write 
our Ashkenazic version, I will instead write an Ashkenazic commentary on the Sephardic version. And he was the great Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Isserish, who is Rabbi Moshe, the descendant of a fellow called Isser. Okay, but let's take a look at source four from the Orachaim, chapter 549, sections one and two. And here we will discover the reason why we fast only on the 17th day instead of the 9th as well, because the 17th is actually more relevant. Let's take a look. We fast on 9th of the 17th of Tammuz, the 3rd of Tishrei, and the 10th of Tevei due to the, the tragedy tragedies that occurred on those dates. Although the verse states that Jerusalem was breached on 9th Tammuz, we fast on the 17th and not on the 9th. Although the city was breached on 9th of Tammuz during the first temple era, the, fa the fast was enacted to commemorate the breach of the second temple era because the destruction of the second temple is the greater tra tragedy, at least from our perspective. And now you know, you thought that I was going to tell you, oh, go fast too, right? No. Rabbi Yosef Karo is of the opinion that you fast once on the 17th and not on the 9th, even though that's what Jeremiah said. But the Magin Abraham in Source 5 has a comment on this as well. Maybe you should fast both of them. Certainly not. We don't want to overburden the people. Can you imagine if I added a sixth fast for you now? You'd go hungry. And especially in the same week, it'd be tough. So let's take a look. I'm going to ask Robert, can you please read for us the Source 5 from the Magin Abraham? Off you go. We do not fast on the 9th. They did not want to enact a fast on the 9th because we don't want to overburden the public, Nachmanides. Therefore, a devout person should fast on the 9th as well. So if you're feeling extra devout, go ahead and fast a second time that month. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you don't have to feel extra devout. You can just feel regularly devout. That'll be fine. Okay. You get extra I'll, points for the 9th. Say that again? You get extra points for the ninth. Exactly, exactly. But however, the, the, um, the standard custom amongst all Jews, as far as I know, is that nobody fasts on the ninth. If you find someone who does fast on the ninth, at least now you know why. The Jerusalem Talmud in Tractate Tainet has a comment on this. And he has a different way to solve this contradiction because it's ultimately a contradiction. A Mishnah which is an extremely um, authentic source in Jewish tradition, in con is, um, is disagreeing, is contradicting a, a sentence from one of the prophets, the big deal. And the, the author of the Mishnah certainly knows the content of the Mishnah. Sorry, the content of the, of the, of the Jeremiah. How does he make this contradiction? Let's take a look. The city was breached. The verse says that the city was breached on the 9th. And you say on the 17th, Rabbi Tanchum Bar Hanilai said it is a miscalculation. Look at that. A miscalculation. But I'd like you to pay attention for a moment to the Hebrew. The Hebrew side, I know it doesn't have any nekudos, it doesn't have vowels, but I will read it for you. We're going to read the last four words of that paragraph. Not the whole thing, just the last four words. It says, kill cool, which means um, a mistake or a mess up. 
Cheshboinois of calculating. Yesh, there is. Khan, here. So as a sentence, there was a, it is a miscalculation. That will come up later, that Hebrew, um, those Hebrew words. And now we hit um, the Rebbe who will review for us where we are up to. And so, um, Alan, please take it away. Hang on a minute. I'm working on it. Okay. Where are you taking it? There you go. Can the two Talmuds argue about a date in history? The argument between the Jerusalem and the Babylonian Talmuds has a real-life consequence. Should a devout person fast on nine Tammuz as well? The Babylonian Talmud says that Jerusalem was breached on nine Tammuz in the first temple era. Thus, the devout should fast on that day as well, as stated in Magan Avraham. But the Jerusalem Talmud says that it was a miscalculation, thus no tragedy occurred on nine Tammuz, and the devout person has no reason to fast. On the contrary, it should be a joyful day because we are obligated to always serve God with joy. Now there is a well-known rule that Torah does not argue over facts, but in our case, the Babylonian and Jerusalem Talmud do seem to argue over facts. The Babylonian Talmud says that the city was breached in the 9th and the Jerusalem Talmud says it was breached in the 17th. Does this not contradict the rule that they cannot argue about facts? Okay, thank you, Alan. So there is a rule in the Torah study that the Talmudic rabbis are not are able to argue about rules or interpretation. For example, they can discuss when and how they should calculate the calendar. So they can predetermine which day of the year is going to be Yom Kippur, or if there will be two days of Rosh Chodesh or one day of Rosh Chodesh, two days of, of, of celebrating the new month or only one day. However, they never, they do not argue over facts. For example, what day Jerusalem was breached? Is it the 9th or the 17th? So here you have this massive question. Here we have a Mishnah versus a Pasuk on what day the, the, um, the temple was breached. And so to review very briefly, the city, the city was breached on either the 17th or the 9th. Maybe it's true that it happened on that day. Probably it. If it's true, then maybe go ahead and fast on both days. If it's not true, fast just one. But definitely figure out which date this story happened. Okay, let's go to section number two, section B. The source 7a. Why are we going here? This is in Genesis 7:12. We're taking a look at the story of the flood. Something unique happens in the story of the flood. The Torah tells us and an emphasis in the verse. So take a look at the first paragraph. It says, the rain fell on the earth. Emphasize the word rain. In the second paragraph, a second verse, it says, there was a flood on the earth. So we want to understand, why does it say rain and then flood? Why is there this distinction between the two words in the Torah? And especially since we know that God wrote Every single letter in the Torah, there's something to learn from a word in the Torah. There's something to learn from a single letter. And even the Talmud tells us from a single crown on a letter. So what is the lesson from the word, the difference here? First flood, first rain, then flood. Let's take a look. So source 7b. 
This is from Rashi. And we all know about Rashi. Rashi is the one who, um, who explains the simple translation of the Pasuk. So let's take a look at what Rashi says. Rabbi Shmuel, please read for us Rashi. The rain fell on the earth, but later it's called a flood. Rather, God first brought down a gentle rain so that if they would repent, it would become a benign rainfall. When they didn't repent, it turned into a flood. So here you go, you have this distinction. First, it's a rain because maybe the people will repent, will uh, uh, fix up their actions, their behaviors, they'll change their lifestyle a bit. And remember, the, it, it lasted a long time. They had a lot of time to prepare. And then when the flood begins, this is now it's already too late. Let's take a look at source eight, because we know that on Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the year, it is decided for every person what will be their circumstances throughout the year. The judgment is made on Rosh Hashanah. At the same time, in the very same um, Mishnah in the Talmud, quoted in the Talmud, Rabbi Yossi, another opinion says that a person is judged every single day. So this is a minor contradiction. It's not really a contradiction. They're both intending something else. That's the source eight. That's the, that's the piece from the Talmud Rosh Hashanah. Now, the fifth Chabad Rebbe in source nine um, wrote a long, um, a long thesis on the, on the need for, on the conflict between material existence and the pursuit of true spirituality. And in this thesis, he helps a person kind of live the best lifestyle. It's an ethical work. It's a long work, and I'm gonna ask uh, Reb Shmuel, please to read it for us. But what we'll notice here is how it goes together. We're judged once in the beginning of the year, and then we're also judged every single day. Off you go. According to Rabbi Yossi, a person is judged every day. If so, the question was raised, what difference is there between Rosh Hashanah and every day of the year? We must conclude that there is no disagreement that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are days of judgment when every creature's sustenance is determined. On Rosh Hashanah, sustenance is allotted for the world in general. And at Ne'ilah of Yom Kippur, there is the sealing and specific determination of each person individually. All agree on this. Nonetheless, Rabbi Yossi maintains that we are judged daily with a full-fledged judgment for all our affairs, for illness, for health, for life, and so on. Because on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the judgment has not been finalized clearly yet. What form shall the sustenance assume, whether for children, health, prosperity, or for all three? or in spiritual terms, or in the world to come. This is a daily judgment. Both then are true. The primary judgment to determine the beneficence is made on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. However, a full-fledged judgment takes place every day. Thank you, Robert. So what do we have from the fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab? We have a lesson that, yes, we are judged at the beginning of the year. That is, however, how much energy, how much spiritual, how much energy is going to be focused and channeled toward you as an individual, toward me as a person. 
But every single day we judge the second time. And that judgment on the daily is how will we experience the energy allotted for that day? Will it be physical? Will it be spiritual? Will it be good? Will it be harsh? Will it be children, health, prosperity, or everything? All of that is judged on the daily. And here we come to the continuation of the Rebbe's talk on this conversation. Alan, go for it. The beginning is not the end. The explanation, the young Torah student has already learned that the flood was first called a rainfall and only later a flood. Rashi explained that God first sent down a gentle rainfall with the hope that they would repent. It turned into a flood only when they did not. Clearly, it was not clear at the outset how the flood would pan out. There was a possibility that the undesirable event would be transformed to good into a benign rainfall. Similarly, as we discussed at our last gathering, our sages say that God holds the keys to rainfall and to sustenance and apparent redundance. We explain that even when there is rainfall, it is not an automatic confirmation that it will bring sustenance. Likewise, our sages said, a person is judged every day for his sustenance, despite the fact that God already designated our future on Rosh Hashanah. The same is true in our case. When the city was breached on the 9th of Tammuz, the possibility remained that the episode could turn out to be a positive one. If the situation would have brought them to repent, the breach in the city walls would have been transformed into something positive. But since they did not repent, the wall's breach turned out to be on the 17th of Tammuz, an irreversibly negative development. Okay. Thank you, Alan. So let's review what we've got until now. We brought a verse from Noah, from the story of the flood. First it says rain, then it says flood. Rashi tells us this was an opportunity for them to better their ways, improve their ways, and things will, the rain will just stay rain, stay the way they were, and the rain turns into a flood. Then we have this conversation from the Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, the energy is decided, but it is then, um, it is then daily rediscussed to see how it will be used. And what that tells you is that had the people re repented, had the people changed their ways, refocused what they wanted, and things would have turned out differently. And now let's get some military tactics from the top. So source 10a tells us that when the people of Israel requested the right of passage through the land of Sichon, which is in this week's parsha, the king of Sich the king Sichon refused. The Israelites were forced to wage war with him. The Torah tells us that he gathered his people and brought them into the desert to wage war against the Israelites. Let's take a look. Robert, if you could please read for us source 10 Israel sent, Israel sent emissaries to Sichon, king of the Amorites, with the following message. Let us pass through your land. We will not detour into fields or vineyards, and we will not drink from your wells. We will follow the king's highway until we pass your territories. Sihon, however, did not let Israel pass through his territories. Instead, he gathered all his people and went out to confront Israel in the desert. When he came to, when he came to Yachatz, he attacked Israel. Israel struck him by the sword and occupied his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, as far as the Ammonite borders. 
The Ammonite borders, however, remained firm. Excellent, thank you. So what did we discover? We discover that the people are ready to wage war, but we know, we know, we know from the Rashi on this, like in, in the Rashi, it tells us that Cheshbon could have been full of, of weak, the weakest of animals, even mosquitoes, and you still would never have made it in. And the same note, Sichon, he could have lived all on his own in the middle of an empty field and you would never be able to conquer him. So God does us a favor in a way in the next paragraph of the Rashi. He says, why should I give my children the hassle of a siege? He gave the soldiers the idea to exit the cities and they were killed in battle. The Israelites then proceeded to the cities without opposition. It's only women and children were left. So what do we discover over here? Cheshbon, this big city, was a fortified one. It was strong. If Sichon and his soldiers would have stayed there in the city, the, the Jews would never have been able to conquer the city. Hashem inspired the soldiers that they should leave their cities and fight the Jews in the desert. This was all a ploy to get them out of their natural space. And like that, it would be easy to be conquered. That is one biblical example where the, the, pl the plans changed just a bit. Let's take a look at an example from Joshua. Years later, Joshua is leading the people of Israel to conquer the land of Canaan. And he orchestrated an ambush on the city of Ai. The first attempt had already failed. So this was their second round at trying to conquer this town. And here they go. Joshua's plan is he has one group go in the middle of the night to the other side. And they're like hiding in ambush waiting. Then in the morning, he brings his force of Jewish, of Jewish soldiers up to the city with a plan. So when the, when the, um, when the eye locals look out and they see how oh, the Jews are coming again. They say, hey, they're coming, but we're ready for them. But then suddenly Joshua and his troops flee. They turn around. So the, the, the town of Ai, with all of their soldiers, they said, okay, let's go chase after them. We won the first time. We'll win now too. And they're already running away. What they don't know is that as soon as they leave the city with the drawbridges down, the ambush... Some of them go into the city, probably. And the other groups surround the soldiers at Ai, the, the soldiers of Ai. And this is how Joshua conquers this, um, this town. And of course, you can read that in Joshua chapter 8, verses 3 to 7 on source 11. Let's take a look what the Rebbe says next about all of this. Alan, please read for us the first three um, paragraphs. It is easy to fight outside the city gates. The explanation, it is very difficult to triumph over an army in a fortified city with walls and so on. When the Israelites battled Sichan, we find that Sichan gathered his entire nation and exited the city to battle with the Israelites. Rashi explains that God said, why should I give my children the hassle of a siege? Cheshbon, the city, was known to be invincible. He gave the soldiers the idea to exit the cities, and they were killed in battle. The Israelites then proceeded to the cities without opposition. Clearly, 
it is easier to fight the enemy outside the city fortifications. Want me to keep going? Yeah, please, another two. We find a similar case with Joshua. When he needed to conquer the city of Ai, he set up an ambush behind the city. Israelite soldiers first pretended to flee the Ai soldiers, and when the Ai soldiers left the fortified city to pursue them, other Israelite soldiers emerged from hiding, surrounding them from both sides. The same is true here. There was the possibility that the breach of Jerusalem's walls would be transformed into a positive development, like the benign rain. Okay, so what have we discovered from this, from these two episodes, uh, one in our parsha and then one in with one with Joshua? We discover that when the Jews are at their best in their performance, when they are closest and best connected with Hashem, following in the right ways, Hashem plans and makes the circumstances in a way that whatever will happen to them will be for their benefit. In both of these episodes, the enemy is somehow motivated to leave their safety structure and they put themselves in the lion's mouth and they get barchakt, which is Yiddish for stuck. So let's take a look. The breach could have led to a different outcome. When the verse says that the city was breached, it means that a small opening was created in the fortifications, not that the entire wall was destroyed. With just a small opening, the enemy soldiers could not enter all at once. They needed to file in one after another. This gave the Jews the opportunity to overpower the enemy, just like the method of ambush mentioned earlier. When the enemy troops began entering the city, they are still a minority, vulnerable to the attack of the city defenders. Thus, the Jews could have repented on 9th Tammuz when witnessing the walls being breached. From a spiritual perspective, it would have been understood that when the Jews didn't heed the warnings of the prophets to repent, God sent Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuzaradan, his general, to breach the walls of Jerusalem to move the people to repentance. In that scenario, the breach in the, wall, in the walls on the 9th of Tammuz would have been transformed into a positive development, like the flood turning into a benign rainfall. And the Jews would have more easily overpowered the enemy, which was indeed feasible according to the laws of nature and definitely feasible with God's intervention. So now, thank you, Robert. So what we have now is um, that we can see how the two comments from the Talmud concur. How do they work together? Both the Jerusalem Talmud, which says that was a mistake, and the, the Talmud Babli, which tells us this happened on the 17th. On the, on the 17th. How do we fit all this stuff together? Let's take a look. This allows us to connect the interpretations of the Babylonians, the Babylonian and Jerusalem Talmud. By all accounts, the city was breached on 9th Talmud. But when the Jerusalem Talmud tells us they miscalculated, it means that the Jews misinterpreted the breach in the walls to be an irreversible decree of God. They didn't realize that they could convert it through repentance. So take a look. I'd like you to take a look at the Hebrew um, the Hebrew in this paragraph and go. Um, you guys have the Hebrew on this, right? Mm -hmm. So with your, um, you know, with your finger, pay attention, go down three lines. 
and you can you can see the four lines, sorry, and there is a four-word quote. Do you see that? Yeah. Okay, it says there, Kilkul Cheshboinois Yeshkan. That's what I pointed out to you from the Jerusalem Talmud. Hold that place because you can see the word Cheshboinois, that means calculations. Go down just another line. It says, Hakavano Bazel, the intention here, Shebene Yisrael, the Jewish people, Tau, they made a mistake. Becheshbam, Becheshbam, right, a very similar construct of letters. They made a mistake in their account or in their understanding or in their perspective, thinking that this, that the city was breached on this day, that's already the end of the story. Which is a fascinating thing. Okay, so that's the end of pointing out on the Hebrew side. In truth, the city was breached on the ninth of Tammuz in order to inspire, to motivate the people to return to Hashem. Through repentance, the incident could have been turned into good. And then, when come the 17th, it would have all been over. But instead, by the 17th, the city was breached irreversibly this time. God's decree was final. And this is a fascinating thing. This is a, a you know, what we call in, in, in the jargon, this is a chidosh. It's a chidosh because no, this is a new idea to explain that they could have changed their future. They could have changed their destiny. And this actually fit, fits quite well into the theme that we've been discussing in the past couple of weeks, that a person has the ability to change their future. And let me tell you a story that just further fortifies this very idea. The, the great Rabbi Akiva, who you've all heard of, was um, about to marry off his daughter. The astrologers at the time could see the future through the constellations. And so they came to Rabbi Akiva and they said to him, your daughter, it's true she's getting married, but on the day that she will get married, she will Now, of course, Rabbi Kiva was uncomfortable with this, but he wasn't exactly going to tell anybody about it. And so, he waits to see what's going to happen. The daughter, on her wedding night, is getting ready to go to bed. And she takes off the brooch, the pin, that she had been wearing. And in order to safeguard it for the next day, she sticks it into the wall. The next morning, she wakes up and she takes the pin off the wall. And what does she notice? That the pin has a venomous snake that it has pierced completely through when she stuck it into the wall. Now Rabbi Akiva is waiting for this story. He knows that something is going to happen. Either she's not waking up or there's going to be a miracle. And so he goes to her and he says to her, my darling daughter, what is the story? What did you do yesterday that should make you meritorious to not be, to not have this, um, this curse fulfilled? And so she said, father, I did what anyone would have done. There was a poor man who came to our home and I was preparing for the wedding. But in the meanwhile, this guy is hungry. So I took my portion and I gave it to him. 
and I fed him the only meal he had that day. So Rabbi Akiva says, this is the merit from this act. You merited to continue living. And from here we have the, the well-known sentence that says, charity delivers from death. And, and clearly it's not just an unnatural death, it's death itself. You are saved from anything, right? If the snake didn't get up, but she could have died in bed, right? She could have just stopped breathing. Oh, God forbid, oh, Ms. one. And even that, she lived through. And what do we learn from here? That just because things look like they have to end in a certain way, way doesn't mean it needs to be that way. And my friends, I believe this is a lesson for all of us, for you and me and for everybody. Let us be strong in viewing the things that happen around us and to us and recognize that they are not the final step in the journey. Because no matter what happens, one can always change his destiny by returning to who he really is and forming his future by basing it on the desire of the Holy One Blessed. With that, I wish you a Shabbos. Thank you for joining.